0: Okay, welcome to Presidential Podcast. This is Philip, and
1: this is Robert,
0: and we're going to be doing Garfield and uh, Chester A. Arthur.
1: And before we begin, I'd just like to wish all the uh, listeners a Merry Christmas and Happy Hanukkah. It's been quite a quick year, it seems. It has yeah. And this episode dealing with these two men, James A. Garfield and Chester A. Arthur, might Uh, be subtitled, Death Visits the White House. As Garfield, who was elected president, was shot in July, uh, was that three months into his term, they were inaugurated (coughs) in March back then, so March, April, May, June, July, four months into his term, he was assassinated. And uh, Arthur uh, rose to the presidency, and served successfully in this term, but contracted Bright's disease, which is now typically called nephritis, which is kidney failure. And the kidney failure uh, basically gave him a very limited time to live after it was uh, diagnosed late in his term. So even though Arthur was interested in uh, being renominated nominated and potentially being re-elected as president, his health uh, failed, and he died within a couple of years after leaving the White House. So again, this, this, this particular episode might be uh, subtitled Death Comes to the White House.
0: Okay, do you want to say anything about our time off?
1: Well, uh, um. I regret that we had such a long hiatus since our last, uh, podcast. It. And I hope, uh, that we are able to maintain a better production schedule and keep these things coming more regularly, at least once a month and hopefully getting up maybe to <coughs> every two or three weeks.
0: Yeah. Um, do you have any, in 2020, do you have any, uh, either special statements you're thinking about doing or presidents that you're thinking about covering?
1: Oh, in uh, 2020, there'll be a lot of jokes about vision, and I'm really interested in seeing them all. But as, yeah, or as far as the presidency, I, I would like to cover Trump. Um, I'd like to discuss some of the issues of the modern presidency, how it's changed. I'm very interested in talking about some of the realigning elections and whether or not 2020 is the beginning of, a what will it be now, the seventh political realignment in know. American history. I don't
0: know. Um, all right. So um, let's talk about uh, the world Garfield and um, Chester A. Arthur were born into. Now, Chester A. Arthur is a little older than Garfield, but we're going to start with Garfield because he was the presidential nominee in 1880. I guess he's the 20th president We're under 45, so they're born in the 1830s, coming of age a little after that. Born in what part of the country? Give us a little so, background uh, on Arthur that. Arthur
1: was born in 1829. Uh, Garfield was born in 1831. And we can imagine back then that America had not yet entered the industrial age. Mm-hmm. Things that we take for granted pretty much railroads, uh, balloon construction, which is where they put up a, a frame and used the frame to support the weight of the structure and then build the roof and attach the walls onto It had not been invented by then. Uh, we didn't have processes for simple things like nails. Uh, we were still importing most of the manufactured goods used in the United States. Uh, The country still pretty much was along a few big rivers and the Great Lakes and the Atlantic seaboard. Florida was pretty much uh, uninhabited. Uh, Gold had not yet been discovered in California, nor had the war against Mexico, which uh, opened up the Southwest to the American nation had not yet occurred. And it, when they, they, they made the Louisiana Purchase in 1809, there were people who actually speculated they might find mastodons and woolly mammoths in the vast west and they were just beginning to understand that that, uh, that wasn't going to happen. So the country was still… Uh, what year was the Louisiana Purchase? 1809. Okay. It was still very young. and. Actually, I take that back in 1805. Uh, the country was still very young. Uh, we hadn't fought a war against uh, another rival other than against the British. We fought the Revolutionary War. We fought the War of 1812, which is often referred to as the Second Revolutionary War. Uh, we're still, battling the American Indians in the Southwest and the Northwest. And by that Southwest, I mean uh, the Gulf Squadron, the states of Alabama, Mississippi, Tennessee, uh, and the Northwest being Indiana, Ohio, Michigan, and Illinois. And and the Indian uh, confederacies, were quite strong in relation to the American military establishment at the time. So these were wars that uh, required great uh, amounts of strength and marshaling on the American side. And the Indians <coughs> won some won some pitch battles against us, and in others were defeated, and uh, eventually were subdued and pushed. West into the what we had gained from the French in the Louisiana Territory, uh, creating massive disruptions among the Indian tribes already living there, and opening decades of warfare among the Indian tribes, which were then exacerbated.
0: presidential episode we did was um, Jackson, and Jackson was president, I think, around the time that these guys were born.
1: Right. The, uh, the great Indian fighter, and, uh, the great believer in the American destiny to dominate the continent had set the tone. Although, interestingly enough, both of them, uh, Garfield and Arthur, when they achieved their uh, maturity, <clears throat> joined the Whig Party, which was founded with the Whig ideology of opposition to monarchy, uh, with Andrew Jackson casting the role of the monarch and casting the role as King Andrew I. So the Whigs saw themselves as the champions of representative government, even though Jackson was the one who greatly expanded the franchise to include all uh, white males over the age of 21. Uh, Jackson was seen as the uh, Tribune of the Common Man, but nevertheless, the Whig Party was seen as the party that was fighting uh, what we would today probably refer to as the Imperial Presidency.
0: And Jackson was a
1: Democrat. Jackson was a Democrat. And one Gar- of the founders of the Democratic Party. In and,
0: fact. and Garfield and um, and
1: Arthur are both Republicans. Well, they were Whigs. Um, at the time that they formed their political identities, there was no Republican Party. So uh, to call them Republicans, as far as Would, their is that a show, transfer
0: of is of the party, or how did the party make the transition? So they just changed their nameplates one day.
1: Essentially. Slavery issue split the two national parties. And when did the slavery issue really
0: start boiling
1: up? Probably when St. Pauls told slaves to be uh, um, satisfied in their condition. But as far as American politics, the uh, slavery issue was, a, was a, a big issue in the Constitution because the. Framers of the Constitution were very vexed by the question of how to uh, enumerate the slaves and how to establish the representation for the, the different populations. And they saw the slaves as vastly increasing the population and therefore the political strength of the slaveholding states. And all of them saw slavery as a regional issue. He did not uh, foresee any sort of slavery, of spread of slavery outside the, uh, uh, the South. And the, and in but fact, wasn't
0: there I, slavery early on in the North?
1: Uh, slavery was still legally uh, in force in the northern colonies and in the northern states at the time that we signed the Constitution. But it was, it was a very small force, I and mean, it was like household servants, maybe a few farms, uh, maybe some stable boys and stuff like that. It wasn't, it wasn't like it was in the south where they had big plantations run by slaves. And at that point, they didn't have a cotton gin, so they didn't know about the long fiber cotton, which would become so, so profitable and such a source of, of revenue for the slaveholders uh, the slaves mostly grew tobacco and a few other uh, semi-tropical plants in the South, and uh, people in like Washington definitely saw the day that, that slavery would be ended. They didn't know what to do with the Africans. Uh, well, Washington was maybe, Africans.
0: but Jefferson said that it, it was, that I don't think Jefferson saw necessarily it as a, I mean, I don't want to go all the way into it. but. As Jefferson gets older, he seems to be doubling down on the institution of slavery.
1: Well, that's that's problematic, and like you said, we'll we'll, we'll take that up at another time. But um, the the enumeration of the slaves was it was a key political issue. Was it? What was the
0: year that it started boiling? Because you're saying okay, it's just a slow boil, but it, you can go from a slow boil. A slow boil is not going to start a civil war, so. When does the pressure? I'm sure the abolitionists are the ones that started muckraking. So,
1: 1789, they had a compromise over slavery to preserve slavery as an institution, and to enumerate <coughs> to enumerate enslaved persons as three quarters three or fifths. three fifths. Thank yeah. you, three fifths of a person. Uh, you know, in that way, they had some.
0: Okay, but but.
1: In 1820, they had the Maine Missouri uh, Compromise, compromise uh-huh. which limited slavery to south of, actually, the southern border of Missouri. And what pushed that?
0: Abolitionist uh, sentiment?
1: I, I think there was a general dislike of slavery. I think there was a widespread feeling among white Americans that it's a white a white republic and they didn't want to have uh, African Americans uh, outside the south. And uh, I think those two factors were enough to...
0: So you don't think it was like morally um, righteous and indignant abolitionists that were writing a lot of polemics? You think it was like people are like we don't want slavery to spread because we don't want black migration?
1: Yeah, I mean, if we look at the abolitionists, they were few, and they were they were persecuted. I mean, their their presence were burned. No.
0: I mean, no. they're well known now. They. No, I feel they, like their publications.
1: They were, they were they were vociferous. They were persistent. Uh, I think there might be a tendency among historians to uh, exaggerate their influence and their presence because of the. Issues uh, surrounding race and the sense of guilt over the the attitudes towards race at the time. You know, people. I <clears> know. <throat> you know, we wanted this. We wanted the African American slave enslaved people to be free. Mm-hmm. You know, the abolitionists. Abolitionist movement is uh, proof of that. I think it was more that the abolitionists were uh, regionally confined. As I said, were persecuted. Were unpopular. Um, Most Americans didn't think slavery was a good thing. They didn't want to compete against slave labor. Um, They didn't want to have black people around them. For good or ill, that was the attitude at the time.
0: Do you think that? Do you think that, I mean, Quint, John Quincy Adams, how many people were sympathetic? Because I remember when we did John Quincy Adams, he talked to some degree about his views on slavery being a black guy and a blight and immoral. How many, but he's also pretty elevated uh, intellectually and morally, uh, not, a, not, a, not going much in the dirt.
1: He was, he was a compromise candidate. Um, no, no,
0: but I'm saying how many people were sympathetic to the tone of the abolitionists? Like, yeah, maybe that guy's a little too extreme, maybe he's pushing a little too hard, but I'm, I'm on this moral, um, I'm on, he's right morally.
1: He was, uh, Adams was a... Uh, I'm not just talking about
0: Adams. Hold on. Okay.
1: Adams was a minority candidate uh, picked as a compromise between two other factions, both of which were slaveholding factions. Adams... Ideas and Adams' political influence dissipated very quickly after he left office.
0: But I'm not asking about Adams. So
1: I don't think there was a widespread popular uh, sentiment favoring the sort of views that Adams had. I mean, he had a a very strong political backing, but it was more due to his... uh, Affinity toward business interests and towards his anti-slavery views. Uh, Martin Van Buren, after he left the White House, he became an avowed uh, anti-slavery abolitionist type candidate. Ran in almost every election, never, <coughs> never achieved a major party uh, nomination. You know, I'd say that they were pretty much a splinter group. The abolitionists were pretty much a splinter group. And did not have a strong effect on the American uh, political culture of their time.
0: So, how does it get from that, basically, we don't like slavery, but we're not going to, we're not, we just want it to be contained in the South, kind of wink at it, to boiling up to the point of a civil war where right? almost three quarters of a million people well,
1: during died. During the 1850s, the aggressive and militant actions of the, the Jayhawkers and the other pro-slavery uh, militaries in Bleeding, Kansas, where they were uh, invading and, and Can you shooting
0: you, no, up. No, no. Right. You have to explain uh, what this is about. Well, I
1: mean, this, is, this, is, this is in the 1850s. Uh, this is later than when they were born. They you know, they would have been in their early 20s. And the uh, main Misery Compromise, and most people say Maine Missouri, but, you know, I learned about this in a school where they always called it Maine Misery, uh, was uh, essentially repealed in the Kansas-Nebraska Compromise of 1850 was enacted in its place which posited the idea that the settlers in a region should settle the question
0: to where they are agreeing to say, okay, settled so states can decide slavery. So if the,
1: the, this, this, the Southerners were uh, unanimously in favor of it. And there was a faction among the Democrats, among the Northern Democrats who we refer to now, and they referred to back then as uh, doe faces. Okay. And uh, they were pro-Southern. Uh, a lot of them had ties uh, to the mercantile and in in New York City and other places where there were big cotton exchanges, big uh, money being uh, exchanged in cotton futures markets, Uh, textile factories in New England which were dependent on uh, shipping textiles up from the south, all of them favored the maintenance of slavery in the south because Southern Bourbons supported it, and when it came to the question of continuing the Maine-Missouri compromise of limiting slavery to the Southeastern quadrant, they were sympathetic to the Southern point of view that uh, slavery could be expanded, and that uh, the people moving into areas had the right to, as they put it, bring their property with them, referring to slaves, and uh, that it should be a matter of, of popular sovereignty or local uh, local designation. But you
0: still think that the North is populated enough to where there's going to be people, that there's, they're going to have more representation in Congress and they're they're not going to be able to pass a pro-slavery?
1: Well, the American government was never sent 1790s up to the 1860s, that for every free state that was admitted, a slave state was admitted. So the South essentially had a veto in the Senate where they had an equal representation to the North, even though the North was vastly more populous.
0: But not in Congress, but you needed both houses to pass.
1: You needed a Senate to pass anything for us, yeah.
0: Um, so the Whigs, so these guys are both Whigs. What is their family's political background? What is their So, so,
1: so the Whigs split over the slavery issue, with the Southern Whigs taking a pro-slavery position, the Northern Whigs taking a main Missouri type position that slavery should be limited to. So the nobody
0: South. wanted to abolish slavery in and, the Whig
1: Party, and and that collapsed. The, the, the Whig Party, and, and it went out of being. <clears throat> it was replaced by the Republican Party, which was Whigs, and uh, what they referred to at the time as, as Free Soilers. And the Free Soilers were people who thought the territories should be admitted into the Union as free, as free okay, territories. Okay, hang on.
0: So what year did the Whig Party collapse? Uh,
1: 1856 was the first Republican nominee, uh, Fremont blanking on his first name right now, Pathfinder Friedman. Did they
0: have a Whig candidate in 56 as well? No. Did they have a Whig no, candidate in 52? No, 52 was the last one. Who was it?
1: Scott, Winfield Scott. Uh-huh.
0: So by from 52 to 56 the Whig party collapsed. Yes. Over the issue of slavery. yes. And the Democrats are pro-slavery.
1: The Democrats were split, but the Democrats were split into probably more like three factions. The Southern slavocracy, the Doe faces, the northern Doe faces who were northern allies of the southern slavocrats, <clears throat> and the immigrant uh, population of the northern cities. So the… the, the um,
0: immigrant population? Like
1: Irish? Like Irish.
0: And what was their view on slavery?
1: They were probably anti-slavery, but the Irish in this period of American history competed directly with the blacks for uh, residential areas and for uh, employment and were pretty anti-black. I mean, they, they used whatever political power they had and they certainly used their uh, numbers and their you know brute strength to intimidate Negroes, which was the, the term for them back then. Uh, out of uh, occupations like carting, you know, like the, like you know driving draft animals and wagons and stuff. You know that that was basically the, the first big thing that the Irish got into, and had been uh, populated a lot by. Uh, African-Americans up to that point, free African-Americans. And, and the Irish just essentially, you know, pushed them out and <coughs> stayed with residential areas.
0: So how does it get to where um, the... So the Whigs split over over free soilers and wigs that support the slave Expansion.
1: Right. You know, and, and interestingly, the, the, the Protestant denominations in the United States had that same sort of split. I mean, there's a Southern Baptist in the South mm-hmm. who stayed with the South, and then there's, what is it, the General Assembly of Regular Baptists in the North. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Presbyterians split the same way. So this was a very uh, widespread type of a split in American society back in the 1850s.
0: Tell about the Jayhawks and these people in the 50s who, who so started to foment. These were
1: people from Missouri mm-hmm. who were militant about bringing their property into Kansas. And again, the property meaning their slaves. Mm-hmm. And they organized militias mm-hmm. or paramilitaries. Speak and a little about it. I, I prefer the term paramilitary to militia because militia to me means the uh, accredited uh, official state militia. Mm-hmm. So they uh, formed paramilitary bands who who terrorized uh, isolated farms and who also uh, attacked settlements settled by Germans and, and free soilers. I mean, Germans were, German-Americans were very anti-slavery. Uh, and, and they attacked them and, and and shot the places up. And there was a you know, famous incident, um, I think the town was Manhattan, you know, the Little Apple, that uh, they attacked and killed 60-some 60, 60 odd people. Oh, what? Because it was a, a pro-free soil town, and they were intimidating them. You know, they wanted to write the state constitution that would permit slavery, and this was one of the main uh, areas of, of free soil sentiment, and yeah. so they attacked them.
0: Um, okay, so, well, let's move into Chester, Arthur, and Garfield. These are formative years for them. Does this leave an effect on their future politics? Do you think?
1: So, uh, they were they were school teachers. You know, they're in their early twenties. They were teaching school. Arthur was a, a handwriting instructor, and you know, again, they didn't have typewriters back then. Yeah. So. Any documents, contracts, anything like that that you used, you had to you had to write it out by longhand. Uh, newspapers and so on were set by by type print, which meant they had plates and they they put the letters in grooves on the plates and then they would stamp out, you know, however many thousands of copies of them. And that was how they produced the, the newspapers. But they, they didn't have typewriters, you know, there wasn't a way that you could reproduce documents uh, Uh, handily in an office. So they had to have guys who sat around and copied them. You know, Melville's story, uh, Bartleby the Scrivener. Scrivening was that profession Mm. of sitting in a law office or in a uh, a bank or someplace and laboriously copying documents by hand. You know, contracts, uh, commercial papers, you know, whatever whatever they had to write out. So teaching handwriting was a big teaching assignment back then. Uh, Garfield was the uh, principal at the Cahose School. Uh, there's still a bust of him in the Cahose Middle School, which is the building that he actually taught him, which has been renovated uh, several times since. People
0: might uh, not know where Cohoes is. Where so are C-Cahose Garfield and, and um, Arthur from?
1: Cahose is a town in New York, which is located at the uh, where the, the Mohawk and the Albany uh, the Mohawk and the Hudson Rivers flowed together. Now Garfield was from the uh, Case Western Reserve in Ohio, from a town called Orange Township, named after the Orange Province in Holland. And there's oranges, Orange Counties in six states. You know, Orange County, California, Orange County, North Carolina, Orange County, Florida, Orange County, New York, and so on. Um, when Garfield. Uh, graduated from high school. He went to Williams College.
0: I'm sorry, so Case Western University is in Cleveland, I think. Right. Is that where he's from, Cleveland?
1: That area. Okay. Okay? That's the Case Western East Reserve. of
0: Cleveland or what? So
1: if, if you think of the Lake Erie Shore in Ohio, mm-hmm. northeastern Ohio, and maybe, you know, draw a line 10, 15 miles below that, and then you get this little square with an irregular top. And that was the Case Western Reserve. It was, I think, claimed by Connecticut or something back in the olden days.
0: Why do they call and, it the Case Western Reserve?
1: settled by New Englanders. Somebody named Case claimed it for Connecticut. Okay. And so it became a Western the Reserve. Reserve for New Englanders. And, and they, they sent uh, settlers out there. So uh, Garfield was descended from, from a New England family that went out there to- So Christ it, does, to and out it out. kind
0: of has a different feel than the rest of Ohio, yes. in that sense. Yes. I mean, it's more New england Yes.
1: Mm-hmm. And I mean, you know, there's Worcester College out there, which, you know, they write it the way it's, it's pronounced, W O O S T E R. Really? Instead of the way they write it in Massachusetts, you know, where it's W O R C E S T E R, yeah. you know, they go, Oosta! But, yeah. you know, it's still not spelled like Oosta. Yeah.
0: Interesting. All right, so he's from a family, what kind, is it a middle class family? Yeah, or? it was a
1: farm family, you know, prosperous farming family.
0: But this is also a period when men had a lot of, if you were, let's say, a talented man, Whatever, or ambitious, man even better, and you're in law or something like that, you really could move up. Yes. Because you saw what we big saw expansion. already with Jackson. Big families. We saw with Polk, I think. Big
1: families, big expansion, you know. And it's kind of open. Big horizons. Right?
0: Yeah, big horizons, yeah. So oh, I think um, uh, Link Grant was like that, and anyway. Lincoln is like that. Right. So. Um, All right. Do you want to talk about either of their children? And and Arthur
1: Arthur was a a Presbyterian minister's son. Okay. And he changed uh, parishes or congregations a couple times, so they they moved around a little bit. And he was always noted for his sunny, warm, amiable disposition, which Mm -hmm. persisted throughout his life. And he also became a teacher. same same school, although apparently their times at the Cahos uh, school did not overlap. They didn't actually know each other there. Um, Arthur went into law in his early 20s. Can you fix on one of them for a while? Because All right. So, so Garfield, Garfield went to, uh, achieved 18 years of age, graduated from high school, James Garfield.
0: Was he notable in high school?
1: He was a good student.
0: Was he a superstar?
1: He went, well, he was when he was in college because he graduated uh, cum laude from Williams College, which is Summa? an outstanding cum laude. Liberal arts college. Outsta- it still is, you know, very well-known liberal arts college. At the time, it was an outstanding liberal arts college. And so he was, he was in that area for um civil war broke out. Northfield uh, went back to Ohio and offered his services with uh, William Rosecrans and organized a for chief of staff. So he was the chief of staff of one of the major army commands in the United States Army during the Civil War, where he served with great distinction. And um, during the Battle of Chickamauga, Rosecrans got confused. Attacking a certain region in much greater strength than was actually in the case, and uh, started redeploying his forces to cope with that. And um, Garfield realized that it was a feint, and uh, arrayed the forces along the Missionary Ridge and drove back, drove back the Confederates. You know, the so-called Battle Above the Clouds. And okay. Seen as a major uh, military uh, tactical uh, innovator and a very effective officer as a result.
0: What, um, where did that battle take place?
1: Uh, in in the vicinity of uh, Chattanooga, Tennessee.
0: Okay. So, and how many men was he in charge of?
1: I think the uh, strength of the Army of the Ohio at that time was around 35,000, 36,000. But it
0: wasn't Union?
1: It was it was the American Army, the US Army, the Union
0: Army. And he was in charge of all 35,000?
1: He was the chief of staff. Rosecrans was the commanding officer.
0: So he was doing paperwork?
1: He was, yeah, he, was, he, he organized the paperwork. But
0: he didn't make the tactical decision like a grant would do. Uh,
1: he actually he actually didn't do that. They did that in probably uh, what they call workhouses. Got to where they were supposed to be for the onset of the battle. Um, what about
0: his like, not temperament, but his? Um, do, do you do you know anything at all about his feelings towards the war, his feelings about the Union or the Confederacy or about the Civil War? Well,
1: I think the. And was he a nationally? He wasn't a nationally known figure. At that point, no. He was, I mean, he was. He was born in 1831 so he's he he was one of the younger brigadiers he became a brigadier general which is the first rank in the American general officer class at the age of 30 okay so he was a young general um i think the attitude of most of the midwesterners and northern new englanders and and this would have included both of them was Uh, that they were pro-union, that the uh, secessionists, the confederates had fired on the American flag at Fort Sumter, were breaking up the country and that it was their duty to maintain the union and to suppress the secession. So you feel that
0: they weren't partisans taking part? in the, the long-standing feud that just kept turning up a notch, that they were just kind of neutral, they were just kind of moderates, and then one day the radicals in the South, a small group of radicals in the South attack, and then they say, all right, well now we're just acting out of us and our need for duty.
1: I think that's a pretty high consensual opinion among Civil War historians, that the Northern New Englanders and the border state people, and most of the Midwesterners, especially as you got away from the Great Lakes, you got away from the New England settled areas, along the Lake Shores, that they were much more concerned about Unionism, being you know, the American government union, not labor unions, uh, than they were about abstract issues, and that they did see the fire-eaters of South Carolina as a uh, highly radical, uh, unstable, political, almost, almost nihilistic type of uh, political influence that needed to be suppressed. So after
0: the <coughs> Civil War, he goes for Congress? Yeah. How does that happen? Did he uh, always have political ambitions or did, it, did someone offer it to him?
1: Well, he he became a protege of a prominent Ohio Republican named Samuel Chase, who had been the governor of Ohio, who was the treasury secretary in the Lincoln administration. And uh, a lot's been written about Chase over the past decade or so uh, with regard to the difficulty of raising the money to fight the civil war. I mean the the American currency at that point, like other other world currencies, was backed by specie, which means that there had to be precious metal backing held by the government in proportion to the amount of banknotes they put into circulation. And if you think of, you know, gold bullion, you know, the, the Gold bricks that you see in some of these movies, you know, like thirty pounds each or whatever they weigh, stacked up. You know, I mean, now we keep them in Fort Knox, but stacked up somewhere. And the the dollar was sixteen to an ounce or something like that. Mm-hmm. So, however many ounces of gold the government had in its possession, it could you could multiply that number times sixteen and that was the amount of, of money they could put into circulation. And silver was considered uh, a metallic backing for the currency, but had a higher rate of exchange. Um, so they could, they could use silver as, as, as an ancillary uh, backing, it was what they call bimetallism. And right at the outset of the Civil War, they discovered a major silver vein in near Carson City, Nevada. You know, this is why you'll see uh, on the, the Nevada license plates, you know, the, the, the slogan, the Battle Born State. Uh, because Nevada came into the, into the Union, Lincoln pushed Nevada into the Union so that the federal government could essentially grab the silver. Okay. And it was a lot of silver, something like the third biggest trench of silver added to a a western treasury, you know, since, like, Roman times. Okay. And that provided the initial financial impetus for financing the Civil War. But, you know, the war was so expensive. I mean, they expanded the army immensely. They expanded the navy. It just seems like in death and money, it was a high cost for something you don't care about. Massive but for something but, you don't but care but it was about. to preserve the country i mean that that i mean they were very patriotic back then
0: i mean the south must really have been deviously in, i mean maybe it was about their pocketbooks but it, it seems like the way it's been, you're explaining it the issue of slavery and the treatment of blacks was kind of like a a tug of war it was like a tug of war peripheral issue the real thing was like Southern pocketbooks and wanting to have their way of life not be infringed, and Northern is really wanting to maintain the country.
1: Um, yeah, I, I think there is a lot more uh political and economic uh, motivation for the men fighting in the war for the political. It just arguments seems like and so. Politics, on. And we, we and tend to give credit to po- politics, for at this
0: point. and I get po- like, I get like wanting to preserve your country, but. I mean, it's a lot of toll. The deaths, especially, is a lot of toll economically, and if there's no moral stake in it, you know what I mean?
1: Well, if you think of the death tolls in the First World War, you know, you think of those big battles that they fought in the trenches. Yeah. on the western but that was fund. people
0: that were going to take over your country you know 30-40
1: thousand per day KIA killed in action sure and essentially over the same issues no it's not the same issue it's someone trying to take over your country but that's what that's how the southerners viewed the north the north you know the well, Yankee the armies are coming down yeah. here
0: to take over our country or at least impose laws against what we want right um alright uh What about Arthur? Did he have the same feelings about it? I mean, actually, let's stick
1: with Garfield for a second. All right. Garfield goes to Congress. Tell me about that. Well, he was was Chase's protege. And, you know, as I was beginning to explain, Chase was a very innovative person. You know, we had this big trench of silver that came into the treasury at the beginning of the Civil War that we used to finance the war, but they ran out of money like by the end of 1862, a
0: year and a half in. How does the silver go directly into federal coffers though? I don't understand that.
1: They sent a train out there with a, a bunch of armed guys. They said, you know, put it in this train and back it came. It just seems like now if
0: somebody discovered property Somebody discovered something and wouldn't go directly to they But they had they
1: had they had war powers. Okay. So um Chase was faced with the fact that there wasn't enough precious metal in the world to finance the operations of the Civil War. Okay.
0: This and, isn't when they made the fiat currency, that's later. Huh? The fiat currency came well, they in. started.
1: They, this is when they started doing greenbacks, and yes, this was fiat currency. Greenbacks were still backed by four I thought. Very, very, very uh,
0: speciously. You mean this was pe- when they started making paper money, before that they had no paper money?
1: They, they had, they had banknotes that were issued either by banks based on their reserves or that were issued by the Treasury based on the... the Precious metal reserves in, in wherever the repository was back then. And Chase had to deal with a war where prices were starting to inflate, and he was trying to control inflation. Is this Chase from J.P. Morgan Chase? No, this is a different one. Okay. I, I don't even, you know they both have the same last name, but they're they're from different families. Okay. And he had. Massive costs that he had to cover, and so he basically came up with a system of promising future government revenues to whoever would buy bonds at this at this date. And so, in exchange for a war bond, you would give the government all your money or whatever the, the amount of money was on this, and. Chase found that he could pretty much promise anything. That people were willing to, to take out other loans. So but the, the, the interest uh, on those things are low,
0: isn't it? It was probably 2.5%. Uh, and, and they're two willing area. to give up all the free liquid cash they have on them for 2.5%? Patriotism. Okay. So you don't think they had an economic, they wasn't economically motivated?
1: Uh, For, for the big banking houses, there was. Because 2.5% and especially when you consider, you know, like, the other investments they have was, you know, like, shipping cotton overseas, you know, the ship could go down, the price of cotton could drop. Yeah, but
0: it also seems like risky in the middle of a war to be like, all right, we're betting on the government. Like, the, in the middle of a
1: civil war is when you don't want to bet on the These government. all reflect, and these are good questions, I gotta say, these all reflect Chase's genius in convincing these financiers, look, we're gonna win. This is, a, this is a good investment for your money. But without you, we can't win. So I need your money. I mean, maybe. You know, and, and, and Chase, by the power of his personality, was able to convince them. Where did he live? He was from Ohio. He had been the governor of Ohio. At the time, he was living in Washington. His daughter was a, a major hostess. His wife had died. And his daughter had aspirations for him to become president, which he also held. And there are some accounts of how Nixon, how Lincoln snookered him into resigning at at the right moment when he needed to get him out of the cabinet. Okay, and I think
0: also there must be some psychological motive in terms of like bankers, you know, like they're like, they are risk takers naturally. Well, I mean, they're conservative on some, sometimes, but other times. They and, and less probably than them, the speculators and investment bankers we think of now, but there are also people who are very, um, I guess, known for being uh, not vig- not not physically vigorous, and so for them to be able to take a part in the winning of the war, maybe they felt good for them. You know?
1: Well, there's there's another aspect which I think is more important. That early on, the Confederate government made the mistake of imposing a cotton embargo on the British, the French, and the North, and telling them if you don't back us, if you don't give us arms, if you don't give us money, if you don't give us diplomatic recognition, we're going to withhold a cotton. And, and cotton back then was not the same thing, but roughly comparable to petroleum in today's economy. big banking economy was textile-based. Uh, without cotton, you don't have a textile industry. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and, and when they did that, when the Confederate government withheld the cotton, the northerners got scared Oh, you know, we might be cut off from the cotton. No more money, no more cotton, you know, no more manufacturing, Our no more banking. So they suddenly realized, well, if the central government, if the federal government wins the war, our we'll banks uninter- will stay solvent. We'll have an uninterrupted flow of co- of cotton, and the banks can stay solvent. So the, the the Confederates really shot themselves in the foot at the beginning of the Civil War with their cotton embargo. But would it have been smart.
0: I mean, how did they get the money? Did they send the cotton directly to
1: Europe? They had they had to trade it through what they called back then factors, which you know we would consider. In investment houses or investment bankers futures right. markets
0: right so they're trading it through these um, and but then they say we're not going to give it to you to trade so how are they making money
1: they weren't so the south stopped making money
0: yeah and they're like you're not going to get any con until you give up right so the South's plan was not to win the war militarily the south plan was to bankrupt that. well I mean, they hoped, the North economically to where the north would say alright we give in they hoped to avoid how a military struggle didn't work out that way. Was it was it planned, or were they just like? They were all fumbling around in the dark. None of them knew what they were doing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just crazy to me how the temperature rises seems to rise so fast. What what's the? Was
1: there talk of civil war fifty two? There was uh, there was probably some. Discussion of secession, but it was not as aggrieved. I mean, it really took it a while.
0: When did it start to getting go? to where it was like, like Jefferson Davis, like I'm doing this?
1: Probably mid eighteen fifties. And then how? Uh, when 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 did when it. the Whigs collapsed, and the. Um, political situation became so polarized between North and South. I mean, the Democrats were almost like two parties. The Republican party was almost entirely a Northern party. Um, they had a it constant... It has
0: some similarities, vague similarities to what we're going through now.
1: Well, we're different now. We have a very regionalized, an increasingly regionalized uh, pol- political structure. Yeah. but. The regions are inner cities, suburban rings, and exurban or rural areas. Yeah, but the suburban rings are nested with the um, urban centers. It's really coastal. which is which is which is increasingly isolating the rural areas. The way the South was being increasingly isolated from the rest right, of the country. that's what I
0: mean. But um, all right, so. He takes over as a congressman, so Chase just ba- <coughs> Chase liked him and, and bankrolled his campaign a
1: lot. Well, Chase liked him and used his influence, and of course Garfield, you know, was returning military general, you know, uh, outstanding young guy. Uh, Good looking. I don't think so, but Smart? who knows what they thought back then? No, what, what was he running? On? Well-educated, Jason? you know, uh, meritorious background in college. And you know, they needed essentially strong political ambitions. I think that all other things being equal, he probably saw himself as being, you know, head of judiciary, head of ways and means, maybe speaker or something like that. I think his, his ambitions were mostly in the House, you know, rising in the leadership there. I mean, he had a conservative nature. He was part of the stalwart wing of the Republican Party Mm -hmm. as opposed to the radical wing, you know, Thaddeus Stevens and guys like that. Mm -hmm. Um, Chase, by then, was on the Supreme Court, uh, Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, so he was out of politics, but he still wanted to have an influence in things. So, um, you know, Garfield was a Republican grandee, uh, big shaker and mover back in Ohio. You know, uh, rising star in in the House of Representatives, and he's pretty happy with himself. I mean, he's still pretty young at this point.
0: All right. So he gets to Congress. How many terms? What year did he go to Congress?
1: Sixty let's say. Okay, how many terms did he do? So, and then he uh, ran for the Senate in 80. So, 14, 14, seven terms. So, he got elected and then reelected. Sorry, how many, four? He got elected and then he got reelected six times. I so, seven terms. I mean, that's a lot. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, you really got to have the your finger on the pulse of the public.
0: Was, was Ohio a very rep- one way or the other state? It's the Texas. It 62, so he was already Republican.
1: Yeah, it was the Texas of the times. Meaning what? Big Republican state. I mean, you know, it's a big red Death Star. Texas isn't a big Republican state anymore. Texas? I mean, they're always saying it's going to go blue. Yeah, say it. I mean, tell, tell me that again when, you know, the Democrats have control over one of the state legislature or they have a, a statewide elected official.
0: Okay, so he, he started... <coughs> did he switch to the Senate?
1: No, he actually became president. Okay. He, was, he, was, he was getting ready to uh, run for the uh, Senate so he had, you know, more national. But you national want to talk
0: rate. about the. Um, all right, so he starts in 1862, and he and he finishes in 1880. What? Um, but there hadn't been a a congressman that was from the uh, House of Representatives that had been ran for been elected president before. Or at least not lately i mean or at least sitting currently sitting
1: see was there anybody else i feel
0: like i feel like jackson was in but he wasn't sitting
1: he but he was a governor or something Was anyone
0: that's what i mean like he had been in congress but he wasn't sitting well, but in he the was congress in the senate but was he in congress before he was in the senate no he
1: was never in the house
0: okay all right so anyway he's well, you have to think about it then, because it seems to me like there's not many that were. Well, in the this,
1: country. yeah, this, 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 I think, uh, stems he, from the uh, unusual no. circumstances okay. of the time, okay. because the Republicans were split. I mean, the radicals were losing their control.
0: Wait, you have to explain the term radicals.
1: So, who was the previous president Johnson? No, by Grant. now we have Grant. Grant.
0: Okay, so it was Lincoln? And then so who it was, it was Lincoln, Lincoln uh, then Johnson. Johnson, yeah.
1: Then Grant. Lincoln died then in 64. Haynes, Lincoln died in
0: 64. Well, Lincoln Johnson, was killed. Yes. Johnson goes to when?
1: Uh, Johnson went to 69. Uh, okay. He, he didn't run so for in reelection. So the election okay. of 1868, Grant was election, elected. took over, you know, in, in March of 1869. All right, so Grant goes two terms? Then Grant ran for two terms. Till 76. And then Hayes. And
0: it's Republican, Republican. Hayes, a Republican. Hayes is a Republican. Republican. He lost
1: the uh, popular vote to who? Uh, Samuel Tilden, the governor of New York. Samuel Tilden
0: was a Democrat. Yes, but in Florida and South. Louisiana. You know, were was the he pro
1: South? Okay, so there, you know, there again. You have this odd combination between the northern ethnic Democrats in the big cities and the southern white uh, redemptress or redeemers, whatever they were calling them back then, who were against um, Reconstruction. What's a redeemer? It's a southern term that, uh, you know, during Reconstruction they elected Republican governments. And since there were no white Republicans Republicans back then were all black. That seems to somebody today. And so they elected a lot of black governors, senators, a lot of black state representatives and the southern whites resented it. And uh, essentially it was the uh, federal army that maintained the Control of the Republican Party, which was black Republicans, and uh, in the election of 1876, up just in the election of 1876, the uh, <clears throat> Republicans lost the popular vote, and the Republicans in Louisiana and in Florida had enough electoral college votes and enough sway that they could. Uh, Deliver those Why do you electors? seem happy about this? Oh, it's just so devious. Why? You know, well, I mean, the Republicans won won the election in 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 the popular vote. The Democrats. The Republicans.
0: You said. I'm sorry.
1: The Democrats won 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 the popular vote, but the Republicans were able to get down to the electors in uh, Louisiana and Florida. And entice them with whatever deal they came up with, which was the end of Reconstruction. Oh, that's why Reconstruction ended. In but exchange for putting nice Hayes Hayes the what
0: side the, what side they're on, they can be the pro-black side, and they did it. And now, and now we can co- now for a long time they've been considered the non-pro-black side, and they've been able to do it. They just seem to be. Slicker at um, electoral politics than the. Democrats. You know,
1: I, I think there's a lot to be said for the argument that Republicans do politics better than the Democrats.
0: I mean, I think it makes sense that the party that tends towards conservatism would be a better would be better at running at because a lot of politics is knowing how to uh, consolidate and, and preserve your power.
1: Um, well, it's also, it's also the, the the composition of the party, because the people who tend to be more attracted towards the conservative party more tend to be bankers, yeah, they're more business people. You know, well, they have more to lose. Them. That's why they want to be. Well, well, they also are people who, I mean, that's their skill, you know, making deals.
0: Okay, yeah. All right, so Hayes is in. The Republicans, do they feel that they're, obviously, Hayes lost the popular vote, so the Republicans must feel like they're on the but Hayes is not a charismatic figure.
1: Well, you know, back then he might have been, you know. I mean I mean you look at him now, you know, and his beard's like a bird's nest, you know, he was a teetotaler. Did Garfield have a beard? He did, right? Yeah, he was the richest man in the United States at the time. He you was know, the richest man? Yeah, I mean there's over a what? So he must have been popular.
0: Well he was. Everybody had a beard back then. I mean it they wasn't it wasn't
1: like he got swamped like Trump did, you know. I mean he just Barely lost. It was more like Bush. Um, all right. So,
0: Hayes, lo- Hayes wins the electoral. What were that numbers on the? We don't know the number. I can look it up. Yeah. What the numbers are on the electoral? I wonder if it was close.
1: No, it was close. In the electoral? Yeah. It was Florida. So this is 1876. And Florida didn't have near the population back then than it does now.
0: And, and you said Tilden was the,
1: where was Hayes from? Hayes was from Ohio. He was the governor and Tilden was the governor of New York. So they
0: were bringing a lot of people out of, out of Ohio. Yeah. Actually, Hayes, Hayes lost by a bigger percentage than Trump lost by. Did he? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Uh, and he won by one vote, oh my gosh.
1: So you think that's close? So the Democrats must have been pissed. Yeah. So, so Wait. the Democrats were pissed, and they referred to President Rutherford B. Hayes as President Rutherford Fraud, B. Hayes, okay. and he agreed to uh, just serve one term and not run for reelection. Who did he agree to that to? He just made a unilateral announcement, like Johnson style. No, he did it at the beginning of his term. Okay. Um. So he runs... So he's out of the picture. Was he not interested in politics? So No, he was former governor of Ohio. He had immense interest in politics.
0: It's funny that he would just lay down like that right off the bat. Well, the...
1: You know, the odium the, that this is accrued the to time, him... This is the first time that the
0: popular vote
1: was... Undercut by the. Well, we coach. talked about Jackson and oh, Adams Clay. In the past. Clay. You know, the Clay. So this was like the second big one that it was. And it's been four. You know, it was the one between uh, Jackson and Clay and Adams. Uh-huh. This one in 1876 between T- Tilden and Hayes. Then the one between Gore and Bush. And now this recent one between Trump and, and Hillary Clinton. Alright. Uh-huh.
0: So they get so they decide that they're gonna basically leave the South back to the South and stop the Reconstruction effort as a compromise to get Hayes in. Right. Okay. And then we don't wanna go over Hayes much, but
1: just hit the bullets and so, then hit so and then go into
0: what well, what were they looking at? How why'd they pick Garfield? What were they well, looking at? Well the reason the reason
1: we went back to Hayes was because I had said something about the radical Republicans. Okay. And you wanted to go into some background about Uh that. So the Radical Republicans were the ones who essentially wanted to um, disempower what they referred to as the slavocracy in the south, the the bourbon democratic slaveholders down south, the big planters. and They wanted to punish them. Yeah. And a big part of their plan also but they was, must have been a minority. Yes. Uh-huh. was to empower the blacks and give the blacks full citizenship rights 13th amendment and also to train them and educate them so that they could become economically self-sufficient in the communities that they Thir- lived in. 13th amendment? Yeah, free the slaves. Right?
0: That's not the. Which is the amendment that has the um, indentured servant clause?
1: I have. Do to you know what I'm referring to? I'm, I'm, I think it's. I think it's the Thirteenth Amendment too. Oh, it's part of it. It's one of the yeah. later parts. Okay. Yeah. So. Um, the idea again was to, you know, teach the blacks enough about modern education or modern back then modern business and agriculture get them literate, and get them to where they were functioning as communities in their tremendous change from the way they dealt with the civilized Indians, you know, who were Christian, who did have newspapers, who did have established talents, you know, so, you know, we... But who they wanted to drum out. Who they did. I mean, you know, they, they, they forcibly removed them at the point of bayonets. Um, so, you know, we have to think, or at least we can allow ourselves to think that they became somewhat more humane in the period before, between when they had the Cher- Cherokee and the other Indian expulsions.
0: Well, they might have also been <coughs> a little bit, um, you know, <coughs> humbled by the atrocities of the war.
1: And that. Right? yeah like people tend to be more um, well and then you know the blacks flocked to the Union Army so they probably had a lot more empathy towards that and camaraderie than, you know the camaraderie and, and so and plus they needed to have a Republican party in the South and the whites were not responding to it.
0: why didn't, why didn't Hayes vice president run in, in um, 80?
1: Because he was essentially a nobody okay And so the Republican Party was riven. Between the dying radicals, uh, a kind of a dynamic new republicanism that formed around uh, James Blaine of Maine, you know, who, you know, they wanted to have railroads, they wanted to have industry, they wanted to reform the tax system, and what they call the stalwarts were around this guy named Conklin, who was a close ally of uh, President Grant's who was the Republican boss in New York City. Mm-hmm. And uh, what was his name? Conklin. So they, uh, they, they, they were split and they couldn't, none of, none of the factions would uh, succumb to the other factions. So they needed to pick somebody who didn't belong to any of the factions who was generally acceptable, who had some record of Republican uh, regularism and who wasn't too associated with any one of the uh, factions and who they felt was a strong enough executive. Mm -hmm. So Garfield's name was put forward and he was nominated. And then he ran against uh, former Democratic governor of New York. What are you doing back there? Um, and, and defeated him in the election. And again, it was a very uh, regionalized election. The North, with the exception of New Jersey, going to the Republicans.
0: New Jersey went for the Democrat.
1: New Jersey went for the Democrat. Uh, it's, New Jersey just funny like that um, and then the South was, the solid South uh, supported the, the Democrats and head uh, close to a majority in the house. So the house was about evenly poised. Uh, the Senate so This is 1880. Yes. So,
0: you you didn't explain that it was a brokered convention. You just said that there was different factions.
1: Well, a brokered convention would be that they went in and just like kind of. Like 1860. Just kind of decided. No, 1860. Um, there's a. They have four guys going for it. Well, that was in the election.
0: The primary. When they went to the, whatever, Republic... They, I don't think they did a Republican National Convention. They did. They in, had four in guys. something
1: called In something called the... Um, it was an Indian name. What do they call an Indian house?
0: Longhouse? house? No. T P. No.
1: <coughs> anyway, I can't think of it right now. But anyway, let's stick with 1880. They were, they were just stuck. You're saying it wasn't a broken convention. No, they were just stuck. So they came to... Um, so Garfield they came with a dark horse. Okay. Like he, he arose during the, during the convention negotiations. At this
0: point in time, was the president going around the country running or was he staying at his they house? Were,
1: they were still doing that, you know, Stay front my house. porch, you know, wave to people And then they up just do the log. newspaper type thing? Right. Put and the, they had like parades, you know, coach like parades all that kind of stuff.
0: Alright, once Garfield got in, I mean once Garfield got nominated, what was the likelihood that he was going to get elected though?
1: Well that's a good question, because... And he was a good
0: speaker too, right?
1: Not really. Um, The Democrats had come really close to winning the election in 1876. Right. And it wasn't entirely clear to the Republicans that they could pull it out again. Or that in the divided state of the Republican Party, that even if they had a majority that you know, enough Republicans would stick with the party. So yeah, they basically ran on what they called the bloody flag. You know, Yankee soldiers had to go down to fight the Confederates, and they actually had the slogan, you ready for this? the way you shot. Wow. That would today. So, uh, it, but it worked then, you know, and, and, this, and this Did it get a
0: lot of sentiment up?
1: This this was this was where it started breaking down. But yes. What's that breaking down? Huh? The ability of the Republicans to invoke the fervor of groups like the Grand Army of the Republic, which was made up of Northern Civil War veterans, to militantly support the Republican Party. But
0: you're saying it broke down. It seems like they got this, this was sort this of this was its
1: last time last step. gasp, and then in '84 in there was no more. Well. Um, 84, when did Cleveland first get elected? 84, I think Cleveland got his first election in 84. So the, the, the Dems finally broke through. Cleveland, and, yeah, Cleveland and defeated. The, um, the the bloody flag actually became a political issue because... Some minister made the comment that the Democrats were the party of Rom- Romanism and rebellion, and Republicans were getting tired of that by then. When was that? 84. But in 1880, you could still wave the bloody flag, as they put it, and uh, get enough Republicans who were veterans of the Civil War to come out and vote Republican. All right, so they wave the bloody
0: flag, else. they get Garfield in. Garfield.
1: Uh, what happens to Garfield? So Garfield gets inaugurated.
0: How old is he? He's thirty-one. It's eighty. He's not even fifty. Oh, he's
1: just fifty. Yeah, forty-nine. Forty-nine. Which is young back then. So. And that would be young too. So the poor thing uh, had to campaign pretty continuously because nobody knew who he was. You know, he didn't really have a national program. So he's out campaigning, and this guy named Trump. After he's already inaugurated. Uh, right. You know, to, to build up public support. And he's, he's uh, at a train station, and this guy named Gattel. I always want to say Buffalo, but it was Washington. PC. Because McKinley got shot in, in Buffalo, uh-huh. and this Gateau walks up to him while he's st- standing on the, you know, on the siding, you know, waiting to get on a train. And Gateau walks up to him and points a gun at him, and starts shooting him, and says, uh, "I'm a stalwart." I should have had a job. Garfield is dead, and Arthur is president. Why does he say he's a stone? What does he mean by that? He was part of the Republican faction. So he voted for the conservative got. Republican faction. They
0: needed to give him a job since he voted for them. Right. Jeez Louise, how old was this guy?
1: Uh, early thirties, late twenties. They executed him. He's mentally deranged, obviously. No. Yeah. He was he was sober and he, he stood trial and was found guilty and executed. I mean, but he and poor Garfield. Uh, they took him to Long, to Elberon, New Jersey, right yeah. right south of, of Long Branch, because they thought the sea breezes and uh, nice air and everything would help him. And then um, Alexander Graham Bell had a device kind of like a metal detector and they thought they could find the bullet. He invented the metal detector. Right. They didn't know where the bullet was in Garfield's body. So Alexander Graham Bell was going to come with this thing and they are going to look at the bullet. And the dummies hit him on a bed with steel springs. So they couldn't get a clear reading of where the bullet was.
0: He died of an infection. Right. He
1: got an infection and then died. Um... Well, I thought it was only a few weeks after he was elected. He was he was shot in July, the beginning of July. So he six, got inaugurated in March.
0: March? They were already in March back then. Yeah,
1: because it was the uh, lame duck amendment in the nineteen thirties, after Roosevelt took power, that uh, changed the, the the inauguration date back to January. You because know, back in the olden days, they needed time, you know, to. All right. go wherever they were going alright so let's we'll start our next session there with I'm um, a stalwart say it again uh, I'm a stalwart yes I should have been hired yes Gorefield is dead yes. and Arthur is president alright so we'll start there with our next episode right. uh, good talking to you oh a pleasure talking to you Phil as always right, and the, thank you for listening this and Merry the, Christmas
0: to all listening. Merry Christmas
1: yes Can you hear any